Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Oh, so hey there, it's Anna David, and you are about to listen to After Party Pod, my podcast that's about addiction, recovery, mental illness, all the most fun topics that exist, right? Uh, After Party is, is affiliated with, I mean part of, affiliated with, it is uh, the After Party Chats podcast, After Party Chat is I'm sorry, but the best site out there about addiction and recovery, and I I say that having created it, so take that how you will. Um, But anyway, it has articles and columns and interviews and lists. We love lists. So, and we love you. So why don't you go love us? Now, my guest today is so goddamn cute. Her name is Amber Tozer, and she is a comedian who is... um, around six years sober and super open about it and and I believe really helps spread awareness in just the way that is important through comedy, through letting people know um, that you don't lose your sense of humor if you get sober and and you don't, um, sobriety is something to be proud of. She uh, had created a show uh, that that she sold and is now she's uh, owns the rights again because it's going to uh, be resold uh, and uh, that was the worst explanation ever but it's called the Tozer Show and it is about uh, a young woman with a drinking problem and she makes YouTube videos that are hilarious well she has a, a show called Twit Knit Knit Twits oh my God why can't I remember anything Knit Twits. And it's, it is, um, they're videos that are based on really funny tweets from comedians and including her own. And the, there's this one, there's this one episode where she, uh, tries to give this old lady a piggyback ride to her car because she's trying so hard to be of service because she needs to do that to stay sober. And it's just really funny and she's really great. And she was on last, last comic standing and um, has been on many other things and is a writer and is just an all-around delight. So I hope and trust you will enjoy her as much as I did. Here is my conversation with Amber Tozer. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? You say whatever comes out of your mouth. <laughs> um, no, it's um, super exciting to have you here because I think you're hilarious. Thank you. I've seen a lot of your videos and watched a lot of your stuff. And, I th- and we have we know people in common, according to the Facebook. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The mutuals. The mutuals. <laughs> and you know, I guess you can always tell. It's kind of apropos of what we we're just talking about, but you can always tell if someone's sober, basically, on Facebook if you have only sober mutual friends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a weird thing. 
I know I'll meet somebody who's sober, and if I look for them yeah. on Facebook, all our mutual friends are all the sober people I know. Yeah. Right. Or if somebody asks to be your Facebook friend, and you're like, I don't know that person, and then you look and you have only sober people in common. Yeah. Do you say yes is the question. Sure. Okay, yeah. You're you're just like a friendly, yeah, nice person. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty judgy. Like, I, I like, I'm like, oh, who? And then maybe I'll do some Googling. Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. That's no. good, too. Yeah. Then you know, five thousand is the limit. Yeah, and I only have two spots left. So oh my god! And you say yes to randoms you don't know. Now I don't. So yeah. I have two spots left. That's wow. the problem I got into. Yeah, you said yes to all the randoms. Well, I did that, and um, years ago, and then I got up to that number, and I would meet people and not be able to add them, and that was distressing. Oh, yeah. So I just deleted everyone I didn't know. <gasps> How long did it take? Radical you? move. Um, I'm really OCD like and anal. Two years. No, so <laughs> I like I just I just like sat down and did it and like for a couple of days. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. See, I want to do that, but I feel I feel bad. Well, right. And, but that's like so narcissistic. Like I think that they're gonna notice. Or it's codependent. Right. Because well, like, why should you feel bad if you don't know that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to go. I'm going to delete everyone right now. Well, I'll tell you the difference, though. So I used to think that all my status updates and my um, and just like my thoughts and photos were just that great that they generated all these comments and likes. And then suddenly, when I deleted the people I didn't know, it, it like had like I get two likes, and I'm like, oh my god! So the people I don't know are really interested in everything I do, and the people I do know are just like, oh yeah, whatever. That is a change. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because don't you find like the people you do know are they're like doing the same things and yeah. they don't think it's that big a deal and they're not going to be like, oh my God, you look amazing or something like that because they, they know you. They know what you look like and they see you around. I don't know. But people can follow you now. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. As opposed to just being your friend. Yeah. So people you aren't friends with can still engage with you I think if they're following you oh I don't know about that I don't know I don't really get the following thing I don't know um but so okay so you are a comedian mm -hmm. and you have a very funny uh web series oh the twitter web series uh-huh oh yeah I like it a lot thanks and you're developing a tv show Oh, the animated series? Yeah. yeah. But it yeah. has, like, your name in it, right? Well, here's the thing. I sold it to Fox ADHD, mm -hmm. which is a late-night animation block on Fox, mm -hmm. which is going to be no more the end of June. So my show got the act with... It's fine. It was devastating. I found out a few months ago. Right. But we're taking it out again. Like, we get, I got the property back, and we're right. watching it again. But, yeah, it's an animated series about... Um, a young girl who who uh, struggles with she's 21 and she has a drinking problem mm -hmm. and she lives in her hometown she just wants to get out it's like small hometown really crappy she goes to crappy college and she just wants to be a better person but she's self-destructive and she can't talk to anyone so she starts a video blog so like autobiographical in any way yeah, the drinking, but not necessarily the video blog or living in... It's based on my hometown, but right. my circumstances were different. It's, it, it is very autobiographical, but not necessarily exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that's good. You switch up some things. Oh, because yeah. Because otherwise you become dedicated to some story that happened to you, which isn't really right. using your imagination as well as you could. Right? Yeah. I can, and I don't really have an imagination anyway, so... You don't? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really. You know, I actually sort of relate to that. I don't really believe you, but I also <laughs> know that I start off doing fiction, and then I realize, wait, it is so much easier to just write nonfiction. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have to make stuff up. I know. I would, I would be interested in seeing what I could come up with fiction-wise. I want to do this thing where I just like start writing a story and I don't know what, what it is until it's done, finished, like a short, short story. Yeah. And I don't know what it is till it's done. I believe in that. Like freestyle. Yeah. I think that that, I mean, I know there are writers who are really into outlining 
and obviously screenwriters have to do that. Um, but I think that fiction, and I know nothing. I mean, I published two novels, and I literally know nothing. Like, I went in knowing nothing, and I came out going, oh, okay, I guess you can just, like, write. And I mean, I remember I was halfway through this novel, and a friend of mine who was a novelist said to me, God, I used to be so clueless. Like, I didn't even know that novels had a three-act structure. And I sort of looked at her and hid my shock and went home and looked that I, and realized I had 250 pages of one act. Because I had no idea that the three-act structure was applicable to novels. And so I, you know, trashed those, you know, 150 pages and, you know, condensed it into a... So, but, so my point is possibly I'm not the greatest person to take advice from on this, but also that I oftentimes don't know where something is going when I start writing it. Yeah. I figure it out. Yeah. You know? It is. It's something that I've had... Because structure makes me nervous as far as storylines go. And I think every writer that I've talked to that have... Because I just have been doing stand-up. And, I, and so when I started... When I had to write an episode for my show... I would talk to writers and I was so paranoid about structure and storyline and they're like, storylines are the hardest. It's just something that you you just have to do it a lot to get good at. Like nobody walks into the room and being like, I know, you know, it's right. like this, every writer I think struggles with. But that's that. such a painful struggle. Like I've tried with the TV writing and the screenwriting and I, and I get... I can't seem to master it. Well, I'm impressed that you finish books. That's so much easier. Ah, it's no so way. Because the thing about writing books, and I to- absolutely 100% credit my sobriety with well everything I've ever accomplished work-wise for sure. Because all I could do was get fired before I got sober. But um, was I used to always say, oh, you know, how could I write a book? That's so hard. And then I got sober. And I was like, well, wait a minute. It's, yes, of course it's hard. I can't write a book, but I could write three pages today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next day I could write three pages, and you get to a certain point, and you don't want to stop because it would be a waste. Yeah. And then you just keep going. Well, you could do that with a script, too, you know. I know, but they're not good. I've done it with a script, Mm. and they're just not good because I feel like you need that mathematical, almost, brain Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, that does structure. Anyway, we're talking not nearly enough about you. So, oh. so okay, so what is this hometown that you based this show on? Well, it's Pueblo, Colorado, which mm-hmm. is the town I'm from. And it's not cramping. <laughs> it's not. I thought it was cramping. No, I'm Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but in real life. In real life. It's not. It's not. It's a little weird, and it's not small, um, but it inspired the hometown that I'm right. writing about. It's, there's 100,000 people. It feels small, though. Yeah, yeah. If you have a conversation with somebody and it, and it feels small, which is great sometimes. Yeah. I used to be snobby. Like, when I was 22, I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And then every time I came home, I was like, oh, my God. Everyone that stays here is a loser. And now, and now when I go back, you know, I moved out 15 years ago. Yeah. I am sort of envious of people who are just, Really, though? You know, if they're happy. Yeah. Yes. Right, right, right. They may have not traveled, whatever, they have their family, whatever. It's still happiness. That's what I'm envious of. Well. But I know that my personality could not do that. Right. Also, you can't exactly do a happiness test on anybody. So, you know what I mean? So, I think, well, I think with any choice, there's there's stuff you're giving up and, and yeah. stuff you're not. Yeah. And you don't know how many of those people would love to leave but were too scared. Right. You know, and feel like they've settled or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of them have feel that way, but I still feel like a lot of those people are a lot happier than people I hang out with now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I get that. But also, don't you think, sort of, that there are certain people uh, that have an ability to just be sort of happy and not questioning it mm-hmm. all and not tormented and not neurotic and maybe not alcoholic and yeah. all that stuff. And then there's everyone like you and I know. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And it would Tortured. Be, but it would be great to be that other way, but I, you know, yeah. it's not a choice. Yeah, that's what I feel. I just, I, I feel like that there was no way I could have stayed there. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I have a different view. I, I, I'm not as judgmental and I'm yeah. like, good for that. Well, whatever. But yeah, the hometown is based on that hometown. 
Um, I'm always super paranoid about recording, so I just, like, glance at it all the time. I have to make sure it's Yeah, paranoid. I have, like, leftover paranoia, so I always think things are going to go wrong. So, okay, so you started drinking when? Um, I didn't start drinking, drinking until I was 21, although I did drink mm-hmm. through high school. Not a little bit in high school. I'd say five to ten times in high school, mm-hmm. but I always got super wasted, but I started drinking more on a daily basis when I moved to New York when I was uh, 22. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's when it really kicked in because I was a college athlete and so I really controlled it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was your sport? Basketball. Oh my god you're so cool. <laughs> Stand it. <laughs> so and so you just didn't you just didn't do that partying thing. Not like most college kids. Did. Right. Where'd you go? Um Colorado State University. Okay, okay. But the South, it was University of Southern Colorado okay. when I was there, but they changed it. It was a smaller um, school. And then and then you moved to New York, and that's a good place to drink, right? It was so amazing just to not know anybody. Right. And I couldn't have stayed there without drinking on my own, because I bought like a one-way ticket, two suitcases, a hotel room. That's so ballsy. It was, I don't, people saying you're so gutsy, I'm like, I just think I'm crazy right <laughs> but I it's it can you can be both yeah not mutually exclusive and probably you're not crazy but I get it like I just jump without thinking and yeah. that doesn't necessarily feel like anything but just kind of silly in retrospect but whatever yeah. um so okay so you arrive in New York and what do you do like you go start you were doing stand-up at that point no I didn't start doing stand-up for a few years but I wanted to be a comedic actress, but I didn't want to tell anybody okay. because I thought it was so lofty and weird and I didn't want anybody to laugh at me. Mm-hmm. So my twisted thinking was, I'll go to New York because I know stuff is happening there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been there once and it was really big and busy. I was like, mm, maybe something will happen here. But so I went there and I ended up getting, it was like when the dot-coms were booming. Mm-hmm. And... There were just so many jobs. Yeah, I remember and I that. A, yeah, I had a business degree, so I bounced around like to different internet companies who had stupid money, um, and I worked in offices. But every night I would go to comedy shows like, mm-hmm. obsessively because I got sort of depressed. I was like, okay, I moved here, I got a good job. Right. I'm like, now it's time to check out this comedy thing. So I went to comedy shows every night, drank, drank mm-hmm. comedy show, drank comedy show, and then eventually I got on stage. And I feel like I read that you said you would not have done it if you had not been drinking. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think drinking played a huge part of my uh, beginnings in stand-up comedy. Right, right. Um, I remember like hearing or reading or seeing Andy Dick say, you know, okay, the perfect combination. He had this, like, he's like, it's a shot of tequila combined with, like, he had this perfect thing where it was not too much to go on stage, right. but it was just enough to give you the courage. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. I'd have, like, two or three, and I could do it, you know? Right, right. But then it, then there were times, like, towards the end when I was just... You know when you can't get drunk anymore? Was yeah. you was, was your choice drinking? No, cocaine. Coke. Did you do that? A little bit. Yeah, oh, but not with any dedication. No. Okay. I hate I hate it. I can I can't take the hangovers. Oh, like you mean suicidal? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's horrible. It's oh my horrible. god. But yeah, it didn't start doing that to me until I was already addicted to it. So and the you know the way to get it to stop was to do more. And Did you drink with it? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah yeah yeah. But I didn't think I was an alcoholic, just because I, like, didn't really like drinking that much in the end, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I wasn't obsessed with it. So you just were a straight-up drinker, pretty much? Pretty much. No I, other drugs? No, pot. I okay. Mean, I did pot here and there. I went through a pothead phase, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But I did coke maybe five to seven times. Wow. Not that much. And, and did you smoke cigarettes and all that? Yeah, okay. I smoked for eight years. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... And so you were smoking and drinking, and you were in New York doing comedy, and was it working? Like, were you happy, or what was happening? The first few years, I thought, were, like, sort of magical. Mm -hmm. Early 20s, drinking was working for me. Mm -hmm. The the buzz I got was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was so exciting, and then um, 
and then the depression kicked in and Mm -hmm. then all the excitement went away and I don't know I just feel like this dark cloud Mm -hmm. how quickly did that happen I'd say three years wow um yeah yeah and so then you said to yourself did you say to yourself oh I'll go to LA and everything will be better yeah okay okay yeah exactly I stayed in New York for seven years. Mm-hmm. I was ready to go after five, but then I did, and I and I got seven months, six or seven months dry. Okay, my last year in New York, but I, I stopped doing comedy. What were you doing? I was I became a waitress, and I would just be uh, work and go home, work and go home. I worked like the, the brunch shift. Uh-huh. And then what would you do at home? Would you think about drinking, or would you? I would write. I'd blog. Mm-hmm. And I would, I don't know, and I had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So. That can be time consuming. Yeah, it was so exhausting. And I don't, so that last year, but then I started drinking again, and then I moved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's LA, the sun's out, I have to drive, I'll be careful. Right, right. But. So did that last for any length of time? No, it was straight up, let's, let's party, let's drink and drive. Right. Oh, I remember. Yeah. 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 But like, you're like, well, I'm okay at this. Yeah. I'm not bad. You truly believe. Oh, yeah. You're fine. I do remember one time I was driving drunk and I was literally like, I am swerving. I can't see. Like, this is a bad idea. But one time, and I drove drunk all the time. Yeah. You know? Did yeah. you get a DUI? No. Okay. I should have gotten 200. Yeah. 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 Me too. Did you? No. I never did. And one night, I went to an after hours on Hollywood Boulevard, where we are now, but I have no idea where it was in Hollywood, and I drove there drunk, went inside, did tons of drugs, came outside with my friend, it was three in the morning in Hollywood Boulevard, super sketchy at three in the morning, Yeah. and and I was, we were just like, we had no idea where I parked, on some side street, and there was a cop, there was a cop car, and I waved him down, my friend is like, stop, but I was more scared of getting killed on Hollywood Boulevard than I was of the cops, and I was like, listen, we can't find our car, can you drive us around till we find it, and they did, and we chatted with them, Yeah. and they found my car, and they were like, have a good night, ladies. Yeah, I think alcoholics are so good at being drunk. I know. So functional. Yeah, totally. I drove a cab drunk. (laughs) I talked to the cabbie into letting me drive. And I drove from Manhattan to Brooklyn, where I live. That's ins- insane of him more than you. Oh, yeah. For sure. But I, he didn't know I was drunk because he was nervous. Like, he was like, he was definitely, he was like, I could lose my job. Well, of course he could. I know, but it- <laughs> I mean, it's crazy even if he didn't know you were drunk. Like, you don't let a passenger drive. You know what I mean? I was like, I miss driving. I'm from Colorado. Um, we just read a story on the site about a guy who saw a limo driver in New York got out of the limo, and some drunk guy saw it and just, like, jumped in and started driving the people around <laughs> and got busted. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Um, so, okay, so then you were driving drunk in L.A., and it was not working out. Yeah. And so then what happened? Well... I don't know. I didn't have. I didn't plan on quit drinking. My mm-hmm. my last drunk time, I was in San Francisco, and I got, and it was sad. It was like a sad time for yeah. about a year, and I was drinking a lot, and I couldn't stop. I, but I had to drink. It was like I don't want to drink, but I have to. Right. And I was quitting for a couple weeks at a time, so I didn't think I was an alcoholic, and then I just. It just became to where I couldn't get drunk, mm-hmm. or I would black out after three, or I would have seven and be fine. It was right. just, there was no, I used to be able, I used to be my own chemistry project. Right. And it, it was so bizarre to me. But my last, I went, I was in San Francisco, I was hanging out with the punchline, I knew the bartender, so I got tons of free drinks. I drove over the Bay Bridge, barely remember. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, the, the part that I do remember when I was driving over, I was like, this, this is insane what I'm doing. Yeah. I am so wasted right now, and I'm on this huge bridge. Right. It's, it's insane. So then I get to my friend's house, and I did coke. Because mm-hmm. I was like, and I'm so glad I did coke that night, because I know part of that was like, I would I would do coke the next night, probably. Mm-hmm. That would be my new thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, and I drank more wine. I did so much coke. And I woke up the next morning, and I just had this. This 
complete moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. It was so clear to me that I, if I didn't stop, it was going to be horrible. My life was going to be horrible. And this sounds so cheesy. I don't even like talking about it. But I saw, like, a crossroads. I saw a big tree and then two dirt roads. Like, oh, like the, word, like the poem, the Robert Frost poem. Yes, yes. I saw Robert Frost. <laughs> yeah. And I was like... I felt like I was suspended in reality and I was laying on my back on this air mattress in my friend's living room and tears just started rolling down my eyes and I was like, it was all knowing, it was 100% knowing because you know in those mornings when you'd wake up, you're like, ah, I yeah. think I should, yeah. I know if I'd stop, but me, 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 and there's this negotiation going on. Right. There was no negotiating. It was just like the clearest. Wow. And I haven't had a drink since. Oh my God. So you... Um, get up off that mattress and what did you do? I had to drive back to San Francisco with or my to friend. LA. I mean to LA with my friend that day mm-hmm. and I cried the entire time. Mm-hmm. And she's like my drinking we're still really good friends and she was my drinking buddy at the time and she did just as drank as much, did coke and I was just weeping and I was like I think I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Like do you feel like you have a problem? And she was like no. She was like no let's just go get a cheeseburger like she just wanted didn't to. get it. Yeah. Yeah. But she's great. We're still we're still really close. But um, I just I wept and wept, and then I couldn't sleep that night. You know, I saw like black spots and stuff like through detox and mm-hmm. was shaking a little bit. And I didn't go to to rehab or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a I emailed a friend who I knew was sober, and he suggested a few things, and uh, I took direction mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, it, it's just, it's been incredible, but I did, it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. I don't ever, I don't ever, ever want to have to start over like that again. So it, it's been six years? Six years, yeah. And, and so, and why was it tough in the beginning? I just think, because it's all I knew. All I knew was drinking and, and, um, and I, and it helped, like, I felt like it helped me. It oh, felt yeah. like it was, like, a good friend that turned on me a little bit. Right. And so that was gone, and I was like, and comedy scared the shit out of me. I was like, am I going to be able to do this? Right. And so it just was scary, and physically, and just being like my brain was so warped. Right. Like, my brain was so warped. Looking back, I didn't know that then. Right. I right. wasn't like... I gotta fix my warped brain. Right. I didn't even know it was warped. Right. And it's frightening. Yeah. And then I do feel like alcoholics are, we're very loath to admit that we're frightened because we're like, what? I'm not scared of anything. I, you know, yeah. do all this stuff. And then we, we come up with these other ways to shield the fear. And then, you know, and, and so being in a confusing thing where your brain is confused yeah. is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, confused I'm like am I going to even be able to to be social right I would have drinks before I went to go have drinks of course yeah just so I could go do that yeah and then but I don't know something about like learning about alcoholism like there was a lot of shedding early on it was a lot of relief too as nervous as I was I knew I was okay Mm -hmm. because I was hanging out with sober people who told me their stories right and I was like, oh, okay, it gets better, but let me read this. Let me try this. Right. So it was. I was balancing out all my fear and confusion with taking action and trying to learn about the disease. And I feel like what's so key is the hanging out with sober people. Yeah. Um, it's so great. Yeah. And so did you immediately make friends who were sober, or was that a weird transition? I found... I found... Um, a group sort of early on that I was introduced to. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily my friends and they were ne- not necessarily people I would ever hang out with otherwise. Right. But I did have a strong connection right away with a couple of people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but I still wasn't, I still, even after six years, because I, because every night I'm in a bar or a club or, you know, a few nights a week. Right. It's still hard for me to be like, here's my sober posse. You know? Yeah. So meaning that you didn't really find one or you do, you did and you don't introduce them to others. 
I guess, yeah. Right. It's like I still keep this separate world. Right, right. Of sobriety and and going to bars and clubs and performing and stuff. Well, you sort of have to, but... But there are plenty of sober comedians. Yeah, yeah. You know, more and more. Although, by the way, like, I mean, just because I, I, I love comedy and I, you know... There's a limited, there actually, people say there are a lot, but there aren't that many because I've only had like six or seven on and I don't know of that many more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Actually, I don't, I know of a, a handful too. But like that story that you were in where they talked, that great story where they t- talked about being a sober comedian. Oh, that yeah, had yeah, you yeah. and Jesse Joyce and oh, Jim right, right. and stuff like that. But there weren't a ton of people in that. There yeah, were four. Right. You know. So so it's interesting. So you keep that. You keep them separate. Those worlds, sort of. Yeah. There's, there's, like if you have a birthday dinner, do you invite both groups? No. You just invite the the the, the comic friends. Okay. And I have a lot of friends who don't do comedy, but they're normies. Yeah. I have a lot of normie friends. Right. Does that ever get weird slash hard? Um, it's starting to, because I'm having less and less patience mm-hmm. with, because um, I want to fit in everywhere, but I feel like I'm in this social purgatory, because mm-hmm. I've been going, like, I go to these birthday parties or comedy shows, and just after a certain point, I just, I want, it's a good thing, because I don't have to be there, like, Hey, duh, 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 duh. I don't give a fuck. I just want to. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care if if I'm not being entertaining at this party. Right. You know what I mean. Do you not? Do, I mean, really? Because I I'm still do. St- I'm starting to get to that point. Right. It's starting to like. What? Okay, I gotta go. Like, bye. And so because they're they're drunk or they're being annoying or they just want to keep talking? Um, I could just, I just am like, it's a little bit of both. Not necessarily, like, I feel like not everyone's always drunk, but if, if they are, it just, it just makes it worse and I can't, I can't. I'm like, are they even going to remember this conversation to the point where they're so drunk? Right. I'm like, they're lucky. They're blacking this out. I have right. to be stuck with this memory. Right. <laughs> right. But then, you know, it's just, if you go to a birthday party for two hours, that's good. Yeah. It's good enough. It's plenty. Yeah. Bye. Um, so, and so, um, how... So it, it was really hard at first. How has it gotten easier? Or, you know, I do feel like sobriety is, is you know, it's like you, you sort of get to a point where you're like, oh, my God, this is so great. And then it gets horrible. You know? yes. like, but I thought that it was only going to go up. And then it goes up. And then it goes down. Yeah. You know? I think it's constant growth. And it's so painful. I know. It's painful. I know. Because you don't have anything to sort of anesthetize yourself with. It's How much work. time do you have? Um, 13 and like, oh, I guess 13 and a half. Oh, wow. So yeah, there've been a lot of like peaks and valleys in, in that, you know, and my experience was actually the beginning was like the best part. Oh yeah. Because I was so excited to be around people again Uh and to be around people that, that seemed very cool to me because that mattered to me a lot and I... And so I think if that had not been true, I don't know, you know, if I'd gotten sober in Pueblo, Colorado, nothing against, I'm sure the meetings are great there, but I, you know, I don't know that I would have, um, that I would have been so receptive to it. Right. Um, right. And so then I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to have another problem. That yeah. is so great. I'll never be depressed again. Yeah. I don't need therapy, you know, and yeah. then a year into it, I was like, oh, I guess that's not true. Right. And now I really have to feel things, you know, without, without ways to escape. Trust me, I find tons of ways to escape my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know I don't know. So, so has that been, so it was hard at first, then it got easier and then it got harder? Yeah, it's been up and down, like you said. Mm-hmm. I did have... Like, the pink cloud experience my first year, I felt a lot of relief just to understand what... Because I was always questioning, like, what's wrong with me? Right. And I knew about alcoholism, but I didn't... 
I didn't know what that meant. You yeah. know, I'm like, my grandpa was an alcoholic. Right. But, you know, my dad's an alcoholic. What does that even, what is that? Well, Some of they like? drinks a lot. Was it, was their alcoholism, like, scary or oh. normal? <sighs> my grandpa, like, ended up, my mom's dad, he ended up in, like, the super small apart, like, drank himself to death. Oh. And my dad ended up doing that, too. So you had it on both sides, the genetic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so, are you, do you have brothers and sisters? Uh-huh. Both? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have an older brother and two younger sisters. Oh, and an older half-brother who's sober, actually. Oh, interesting. My dad's first son. First son. And did your dad ever get sober or anything like that? No, he drank himself to death. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. But he, like, I thought of him that morning, you know. I was like, I thought of him a lot. I was like, I don't. I'm like, I'm going to end up like him. Yeah. It was freaky. I thought of him a lot that day. And, um... And he just sort of... and But he didn't drink in front of us because he was so ashamed of it. Right. So he hid it from us. And then when my parents got a divorce, we didn't see him that much. But in the end, he, like, just took himself out. And he didn't, like, go get a new family after the divorce. No, he was too dysfunctional. And did your mom ever say things like, don't drink or you'll end up like your dad? You know, she... She did. She was always like, "Be careful. Alcoholism runs in the family. Boozers are losers." Like if I was hungover or something, she would joke, "Boozers are losers." Right. But it's funny. They don't even understand it. Yeah. Still. Yeah. You know, even though family members are dropping left and right, they still don't. And get so, it. when you got sober, what did they? Did you try to explain what that was like to them? I wanted a parade. Well, of course. I wanted a sober party. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, cool. My mom is much better now. Yeah. I think she has seen, like, the transformation and the struggle, and she's been to a couple of meetings. Yeah. So she under, she's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. But in the beginning, everyone, and I've been gone for 15 years. Right. They didn't see my daily struggle. Right. They'd see me get drunk at Christmas, but everybody's drunk at Christmas. Yeah. 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 Did, um... I, when you take, like, I've taken my mom to meetings, and it's always, my mom is very judgy, the lover, she's super judgy. They're always the worst meetings, and I'm like, oh, oh my god, I'm getting the worst idea, you know, where the speaker is totally inarticulate, and it doesn't say anything worthwhile, and she's like, this is the thing that you rave about? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is also that thing where... Technically, I truly believe that if you don't have alcoholism, you actually cannot understand it. Oh, it's impossible. You know? It's so... And before I was willing to deal with my problem, I just thought, you know... And I thought sobriety was, you know, you sit around and you talk about how much you want to drink. Yeah. And how great drinking was. You know, I had no idea that it had to do with getting, you know, being of service to people Oh, oh my god, and you have that really funny video about being of service, which oh, I love. giving the, making the old lady get on my back. Yes, yes. yes. Um, and I thought it was, like, really significant in terms of how, you know, alcoholism works. Like, we're, we're told that, and then, you know, you want to do it your way. Yeah. You know? Um, and she was so cute, that actress. Oh, yeah, she was great. Um, and so, yeah, for people who haven't seen it, you basically go up to an older old lady and you say, I want to be of service. I, can I give you a piggyback ride to your car? And, and she doesn't want it. And you then say that, that you'll go drink and sleep with everybody if she doesn't let you. So she does. Yeah. And that was your idea, obviously. Yeah. It was based on a tweet that I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, um... I also love your dancing videos. Oh. I was cracking up during the video of you and your friend dancing in the supermarket. Oh. Mostly just because nobody gave a fuck. I know. In L.A., they just roll their eyes. Especially if they can see somebody's filming. They're, everyone's so desensitized. But it was crazy. They just were like, they, they wouldn't move out of the way. They would just keep looking at their bologna or whatever it was and, and just let you dance. Oh, funny. Um, so how how has comedy changed since you've been sober? What has has your relationship with it gotten? I would say better. 
Yeah, my writing has definitely gotten better. I struggled. I actually took some. I actually took some time off my first or second year. I when I quit, I was like, I got to see if I can do comedy and be around it, and right. I could. Right. It was fine. I was actually excited because I could. I was very present on stage. Yeah. Um. But then I felt like after a bit. I just wanted to take a break because it's sort of exhausting to be. I was tired of needing validation and, and the hustle of like, am I good enough? Do people like me? So I stopped and I started working with kids with autism for a while. Okay, tell me about that. And it was great. So that was a job job. Yeah, I got certified as a behaviorist. I worked in a school and then I did like private work for a while and I took a break from comedy and that's when my writing got a little bit better, though. Right. Because I still needed to write jokes and stuff, but I wasn't performing as much, so I really would write a lot of jokes. So it was helpful, but then I had to eventually come back to comedy. But yeah, being of service to kids, uh, it was great, and autism's fascinating. It's a lot like alcoholism, just like that compulsive self you know, right. self behaviors that you want to stop, but you really can't. I don't know. I just it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never thought of that. Yeah, we recently ran a piece on the site on Aspergers. Um, but, oh, Because yeah. I've always been fascinated by that. Yeah. Um, and it was this. It was an interview with a girl who had like a nineteen-year-old girl who has it about really what it's like, and it was articulated better than I'd ever understood it. You know, I'd never oh, wow. quite understood it that way because I, I just sort of thought, oh, okay. Well, I think my dad has it. By the way, I'm even more convinced after this girl's story. Oh, yeah. My stepdad has it. It's strange. I had a date with a guy who I'm pretty sure had it. Oh, yeah. And because he reminded me of my dad who was just like, so, spoke really slow. I mean, this is so ludicrous. I'm in no position to be diagnosing. But I really, it's kind of like... You spot it and and you know it. I've yeah, yeah, spotted yeah. it twice for sure. You know, but what made you interested in autism? I well, I was offered. I was talking to a my friend's friend who's amazing. She's like this special needs angel, and she's like, "You should work with kids with autism. Do you want to work at the school?" And I needed a job, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yes." And I didn't have I I didn't seek it out. It sort of found me. And then when I was around these little kids, I was working with preschool kids, and I was mm-hmm. working. My first kid was like, couldn't talk. Like I'm, and and I would always. It's just you. They're like a puzzle piece, you know. Autism, the their logo logo is a puzzle piece. Oh, so the each vision. yeah, and it's a perfect visual for that. So anyway, I just was fascinated by somebody who's hard like hardwired completely different than you and I are you know, typical right. people, um, and their sensory systems off. I was just fascinated. Yeah. They're like these fascinating people who, um, are just wired differently. Right. And what they care, it's sort of refreshing to be around someone like that because they're not trying to get you to like them. They're not, their motives are completely different. Yeah. than anyone else and it's just it's uh I don't know it yeah. opened my mind to a lot a lot more like I had a lot more empathy after I worked with those kids and and do you do that at all now or no there's one kid that I still see sometimes just because I worked with him a lot and mm-hmm. I, you know I want to stay in his life but I don't uh, actually yeah yeah and was that before or after you were on last comic standing after okay, I got sober a couple months after I filmed the last comic standing. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I was drunk on the last comic standing. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, and then, and then, how long were you off comedy? Oh, uh, I'd say a good. I would do a show here or there, but mm-hmm. I don't really count. Like, if I did a show, I don't know, probably a year. Mm-hmm. And then there were a time, like, when I had, like, four years of sobriety where I took seven months off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I, it's still a constant struggle for me to do stand-up. And it doesn't really have anything. It's not sobriety. It's just me. Why? What's the struggle? I, I don't... I don't know. Because I think I want to write. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but now I'm back on a stand-up bender. So now I'm like, stand-up's great. I want right. to go. But, you know, six months from now. Right. And how did the bender start? Because you started having better shows or you just found a new... Well, I've just been... I have, I've been... I have to take these meetings and everything takes so long. Yeah. So I have to, like, keep... I just do it to keep busy. And I'm like, okay, you can do stand-up at night. Right. And it's very fulfilling to do it. So, even though I want to, like, sell a show or whatever, that process is so long. I know. And I do love stand-up, and I think the frustrating part of it is, like, my perfectionism. Right. It's like, I want to be... I love it so much. It's such an amazing art form to me, and I'm fascinated by people who are just kill at it. Right. That I don't think I'm... I'm like, ah, I better take a break, because I'm not that great. But (laughs) you know that our perceptions of ourselves are not accurate. So it worked, and I feel like perfectionism is definitely something that alcoholics struggle with. Yeah. You know? And then also, validation is something we just love so so much, you know? So then feeling like you blew it. I used to have a storytelling show, and it was once a month. And so if I felt like I blew it, I had to live with that for 29 days. And a comedian friend said to me, the reason you're taking this so hard as a comedian could have a bad show and then get up the next night and, like, put that bad show to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't. Oh, yeah. Um, But I also know, you know, I leave any interview I ever do immediately going, like, like if if it's a TV thing, oh, my God, I was horrible. I mean, I was horrible. And then I would sort of go, wait a minute, they always ask me back. So possibly my perception's off. But it's so convincing. Right. You truly, you'll find facts that aren't facts. Yeah. And react, I react to these facts that aren't facts as if they're real because my brain cannot differentiate the truth from the false. Right. You know, unless I'm so, I guess, spiritually connected. Right. What role does spirituality play for you in recovery? I well, it's a lot more now. In the beginning, I was, like, very educational. And, like, alcoholism is a thing in our body, da-da-da-da. Right. But in order for me to stay a little bit sane, I have to, like, meditate and truly... Right. Constantly remember to have this conversation with something that's bigger than me. Did you have a problem with that at any point? Of, like, not believing or thinking that that, that spirituality was being, like, shut down your throat or anything like that? I did when I tried to get sober before. Mm-hmm. Like in New York, I went to a couple of meetings, and I just the God stuff. I was like, nah, yeah, mm, no. These people are brainwashed, and it's a cult, and it's religious. But um, now I was like, super, I was so desperate. Right. I was like, I know. I don't care. But now that I know, it's just amazing. It's like the most amazing way yeah. to um, to connect. It's like you have your own relationship, and it's everyone so di- like works it so differently. And I still I want a better way. Like I want more connection, and I want to do it better. And I and still sometimes I'm like I don't know about this. Well, yeah. I mean, I do you? I find it pretty hard to always have that connection. Oh yeah, and I and I don't sometimes. Sometimes I'll be in this flow. Yeah, you know the flow, and but it never it never lasts. And then sometimes when I'm meditating, I'm like, this is bullshit. Right. What you kind know? of meditation do you do? I just sit there. You sit there for how long? Like ten minutes every morning. That's awesome. And sometimes when it's like. When I'm having, like, an existential crisis, I'll do, like, 15 minutes out of nowhere. Right, right. I think that's a I do I do 40 minutes, but I do it with a mantra, which is so much easier that it doesn't even compare. I couldn't do two minutes without a mantra. Did you get a... Did you yeah. go... Well, I, my meditation teacher is this amazing guy. He doesn't... He teaches TM, but he's not associated with the TM Foundation because they are... I'm sorry, but money grabbers, like, they charge know, all this I money. I know, I want a mantra. Yeah, no. I can't afford a mantra. Yeah, I know, it's so ludicrous. So my teacher started this thing called Vedic meditation, and he's taught a bunch of people in L.A., so there are actually, he's not here anymore, he's in Arizona, but, but he has a bunch of teachers right here, and you should totally learn through one of them. Oh, yeah. Because they're amazing. I had Jeff Kober on this podcast, and he's one of them. He's sober, he teaches meditation, he's brilliant. And he has a like a meditation group every Sunday. Like it's open. Oh, cool! I'll totally get you the information. I would love it. Um, because it's 
so good for my brain, which can't, if you don't have to sit still with yourself if you have a mantra, because it forces you. Do you do it in the morning? And the end in the afternoon, yeah. 40 and 40. No, no, 20 and 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's great. But I will say also, I don't know, I sometimes feel, I pray afterwards, but I sometimes feel like it's not a spiritual thing that I do it for, like, energy, because it gives me a ton of energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. It's always a good thing, sort of. Um, do you pray? Occasionally. Right. And I'm getting better at, like, not asking for things for myself. Oh, it doesn't I, work. Oh, no. No. I ask a lot for willingness and yeah. courage. Just, just, and for other people. Like, there's, a, there's, like, two people in my life that I'm always praying for. That's really nice. Yeah. But I'm getting better at, like, get me that job. Oh, it's just, I almost am paranoid that that backfires, yeah. you know, just because I remember my first sponsor being like, the only thing that you can pray for that'll work is asking for more sponsees. And I'm just like, oh, uh, <laughs> that's a raw deal. Um, so I, I'm looking um, at some of your, uh, but okay. So it wasn't a secret that you were drinking, but it was a secret that you were that you were trying to control your drinking before you got sober. So you didn't tell anybody. No. Yeah, and nobody really knew. Did anybody ever say to you, "Oh, I think you've got a problem"? No, because well, I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't. Yeah, and I hung out with drunks. Yeah, I mean, if you hang out with people that are worse than you, it's a really good way to go unobserved in that area. Um, okay, and you have a, this. You have a column for last minute. Oh, I used to. Over. Yeah. But you were giving advice. Yeah, it was silly. It was like fake advice, but sort of real towards the end. I, you were, you're a great writer, though. Thank you. Um, and you you wrote on Mad, not Mad TV. No, Mad. Um, the cartoon. Uh, it was based on Mad Magazine. Yeah, and it's been nominated. It was nominated for Emmys and stuff. Yeah. Um. And, um, okay, and, and so, um, some story, there was a summary that says, uh, you talked about, um, an awkward foray into lingerie photography, craving your mother's acceptance and understanding your own fluid sexuality. Oh, that was Paul Gilmartin. Oh, it was, yeah. yes, the mental illness happy hour. Yeah, I did his, my dad became a photographer. Oh, no. Right after the divorce. Uh -huh. And so my room turned into this weird studio where there was pictures of women all in their lingerie. He used your... Oh, because you were only there part of it. Yeah, day. I was there like every other weekend. <laughs> so he turned my bedroom into that. And I was like, what? That's weird. Yeah, it was so weird. But my dad, I mean, that he was never like inappropriate with me or anything. Or, but I knew he was sort of a pervert. Right. But... Um, so, and I've always dressed like a boy almost, and so we were trying to discover, like, why I don't wear a sexy Like, there's, uh, you know. Yeah, how old were you when your room got turned into the lingerie? 10 or 11. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally connected. You think? Yes. Well, I'm a big Freudian. I think everything, everything happens to us, like, the way we're formed between, like, 0 and 10. Like, oh, I know, but it's true for all of us. Where all sorts of disturbing things happen, usually, yeah, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to undo whatever damage. But lots of good things happen too. Yeah, you know. But oh, hundred percent. And I mean, it—it's just what I believe. Right. It doesn't make it true. No, it probably is true. I just don't want to believe it. Um. Yeah, but I do think it's like I got sober, and I well, my whole life—not my whole life. For my 20s, I was like, I have the worst parents in the world. Then I got sober, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have the best parents in the world. Yeah. And then I went back to I have the worst parents in the world, and now I'm at, oh, I get it. Like, they're they're better than a lot of parents. Yeah. You know, it could have been a lot worse. For sure. I had, I had resentments towards, and I talked a lot about my mom on this podcast, uh -huh. like, I just resented her because she was sort of tough mm -hmm. and um, a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And but she married two alcoholics in a row right. just because she's working out her patterns from her childhood. Like right. you know, it's just part of the cycle. 
and I'm so happy. And I just resented her for that. I was like, where's the softness? Where's the mom? Like, right. But she couldn't, you know? She had, like, four kids, and it was, she was running her own business. Like, she's a badass. Yeah. So now, in retrospect, I'm like, she... Thank God she didn't crumble. Like, if she yeah. was a softie or, like, right. a negative Nelly, it would... Right. It would have been really bad. Yeah. I know. It's, um, it, it's just, I feel like, and that does come in sobriety, just this, like... This uh, compassion, yeah, yeah, and and a willingness to believe. I mean, that's like doing doing work where you list your resentments and then realize what a huge part you play in them. If you can remember that, it's like life altering every day, right? You know, because I know for me, I just felt like such a victim without knowing that. Yeah. And I would think that like retaliating made me strong. Yeah. Not realizing it was just keeping the resentment festering. Right. You know? But it's hard with family. It's hard if like, you know, your button creators push your buttons. You know, it it cuts deep. It does. Every time I go home I'm like I go in there swinging. Like You've I got I have I to. go in there swinging and then I just it, I'm always like 12 years old again. I know. By within 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, I find I'm really bad for 24 hours, and then two days in, I get like acclimated, and I can be way better. Where's your family? They're in Northern California. Okay. So they're close. That's good. But yes and no. I mean, yes, I. But I go through phases of being able to deal with it, and I, I thought I remember it like five years of sobriety going up there. And it being a disaster and me crying and acting not 12, but maybe like seven. And I, again, it's like that hills and valleys thing where I thought, I thought I was, you know, supposed to be getting better all the time. And, you know, and so it really, really does depend. But yeah, I go in there prepped as hopefully. And then, and then I just try to be of service as much as I can because it just gets me not thinking about all the shit that I convince myself they're not doing for me, you know? helps so so much oh my god i offer them piggyback rides they're (laughs) get on my back grandma lady (laughs) um no but that this has been awesome i mean i feel like is there anything else you you know want to say about alcoholism recovery yourself what you're Um, working on now no i this this was great i just want to say if anyone's struggling out there i hope i think the hardest part is recognizing it like yeah. fully accepting it accepting it so yeah. I just hope anyone listening really thinks about it yeah <laughs> and gets that it's not the end and this sounds cheesy but it's not the end of life it's the beginning yeah the recovery it's amazing it really as painful is. as it is it's like every time I hate being sober or I'm like I know if I had a drink I'd feel better right now as long as it, I stick it out, and I don't do it perfectly. Sometimes I'll isolate through a situation. Right. As long as I don't drink, it's like I, f- I just, if I stay sober through a problem or a very painful situation, the rewards, yeah. whether they happen in a day or a couple of months, it's beautiful. But do you really ever say, oh, a drink would make a terrible situation feel better, or do you know, because I don't go to that. I... I think, I know that would make it worse. I I think about that, the buzz that I had when it worked. Yeah. When it felt good. So I sort of fantasize about the good buzz. Right. But then I quickly play the scenario through, being like, you won't have two, you'll have two bottles, then you'll be hungover. Right. And then you'll be like, well, looks like you're drinking again, you can get sober another time, and then... But, yeah. you know, yeah, I play it through, but I do fantasize occasionally about the good buzz. Do you have drinking dreams, by the way? Once in a while. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, and it's always like I'm lying. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm lying to everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine are like I'm drinking, and I'm going, well, that's weird, because I thought I had, th- you know, because I, not I thought I had, I have 13 years. Yeah. So, so I, and then I'm like, well, you know, you've been sort of drinking this whole time, is what I tell myself in the dream. Oh, yeah. And then, and then someone sees me, and I'm like, the charade is over. <sighs> so weird. I'm always, like, at a party, and I'm like, I'm drinking. Yeah. 
And then I'm like, I'm not going to tell anybody, though, because yeah. I have six years. Yeah. Yeah. Or I plot a, a lie. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are I you at a party? Well, I'm always at a party. I'm at a party. I had one this week, and it was... I was, oh, I was in some, like, hotel, but I was part of some group that had traveled there, and I snuck out in the middle of the night and was, like, blowing lines with these three guys. Yeah. And so not only was I relapsing, but we were going to get in trouble, because we would, like, we were there with, like, a group that did not want us doing that, and I knew we were going to get in trouble. But I just wake up so grateful from those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, me too, once you realize, like, oh, it's just a dream. And, and, like, I used to live like that. Like, I used to live, like, being, you know, knowing I was going to get busted for being on some trip and blowing lines with four guys and, like, you know, d- and live with that fear and that that guilt and shame, Ugh. you know? The guilt and the shame. So bad. What I could not stand was waking up the next morning being like, how could I have felt so great last night? And look at me now. Yeah. It, but towards the end, it was, like, never feeling good. Yeah. But I'm talking about those... The, tra- the reason why we get hooked is because it did feel good at one point. See, that's interesting because when it felt good for me, I never woke up in the morning and thought it felt bad. It was like, it. I loved being hungover because I'm such a type A um, and don't relax. So it was the one day or days I could give myself the excuse of not doing it. Oh. It was like the only time I could like just watch a movie and not feel guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But when it felt bad, it felt bad at the time and bad the next day. You, worse the next worse day. Worse the next day. Yeah. Yeah, I always said it was not the day after doing coke, it was the day after the day after. Because uh, I think it would like still be in my system, but two days later I was just like, okay, I have to die. I have to. Those coke hangovers. I know. I know the worst. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those days are past. Yay! So I thank you so much. This was a real sheer delight. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming. What a cute thing, right? Could her cuteness, did it come through? Um, I think it did. But imagine if this was a video podcast and you could have seen her. Really, truly, a lovely, sweet, sensitive girl who's funny and badass. So yeah, see you next time.